Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today, I want to have a conversation with us uh, concerning what I have heard people outside falsely accuse people who preach the message of grace, that the people of grace are against the law. That the people who preach the message of grace do not believe in the law. That the people of the message of grace do not teach the Old Testament. That they don't believe in the Old Testament and like things they say. And I believe their conclusion comes from the fact that they hear what they have not yet understood yet. You see? And for us to teach is to bring clarification. It says that some people come to the full understanding of exactly what we say or what we seek to be understood in our teaching. Let me be very clear. No preacher of the gospel of grace is against the law or should be against the law. Jesus said, what is good except the law? Jesus said, I'm not come to take away the law, but to what? To fulfill it. I'm not come to destroy the law. He says in Matthew 5, 17, I'm not come to destroy the law of the prophets. He says, but I'm come to what? To fulfill. So the message of grace is a fulfillment of the law. Why? Because as I'll share with you later, God sent the law to help us understand that we are not able. Not that we could not, but that we would not be able to fulfill it. So today, I want to help us understand the purpose and the place of the law for the New Testament believer. The purpose and the place of the law for the New Testament believer. These things are for people who love the word. You know, if you're a student of the word, you're going to enjoy this message. Somebody shout hallelujah. Hebrews, the 10th chapter from the first verse, if you will read from the Amplified Version. He says, listen, for since the law was merely a rude outline, the law was merely a rude outline for a shadowing of the good things to come instead of fully expressing those things. I want you to note that it was foreshadowing the good things to come instead of fully expressing those things. So the law, the Old Testament was a foreshadow. It's a rude outline. It is not an expression of truth. It is an outline. It's a shadow, okay? It can never, the Bible says, by offering the same sacrifices continually, year after year, make perfect those who approach its altars. For if it were otherwise, would these sacrifices not have stopped being offered? If it was making men perfect on its altar, that is the law, would then have been a requirement of continuous offering of sacrifices? No, because that means it would be sufficient that when a sacrifice is made, you don't need to make any other sacrifice. You see? But the reason why there's a continuous requirement of the sacrifices in the Old Testament, it is because the two, three sacrifices were not enough for a believer to be consecrated to perfection. Somebody shout hallelujah. It says, since the worshippers had once for all being cleansed, they would no longer have any guilt or consciousness of sin. Now, I want you to underline that. If the Old Testament law was sufficient and the sacrifices written in there were sufficient, then worshippers would have just needed to sacrifice once and for all. But once we see a continuous need of sacrifice, it means that there is a continuous appearance of guilt and condemnation within the conscience of a believer. So if you are 
a keen reader of scripture, this should tell you that once guilt, condemnation, or consciousness of sin is still present, you can never get rid of sin. That's what he has said here. He says if the sacrifices were enough, they would mean all people would be cleansed and they would no longer have guilt or consciousness of sin. You see? And the next line says, because, he says, as it is, these sacrifices annually, the Bible says, bring a fresh remembrance of sins to be atoned for. Continually, they bring a fresh remembrance of sins to be atoned for. You see, the Bible says, by the law is the knowledge of sin. By the law is the knowledge of sin. Romans 3.20 By the law is the knowledge of sin. So if you want to know what sin is, you know sin by the law. In fact, Corinthians says, the strength of sin is the law. Wow. The strength of sin is the law. 1 Corinthians 15.56 The strength of sin is the law. So sin is empowered where the law is. Many people don't know that. When you say don't steal, you're actually giving strength for a person to steal. Recently, I was dealing with my child, my daughter, and she was going places I didn't want her to go, and then she was reaching out for gadgets I didn't want her to reach out for. And as she was going there, I said, no, 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 no. And then I turned out to the direction I want. No, 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 no. Then I turned out to the direction I want. And you know, the Holy Spirit told me, but do you see that you are actually imposing the law on this girl when you say don't? Because you get her from one place, you put her in another place. Two seconds, the same girl goes and she looks at you and says, What's her? this is where I'm at. No, 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 no. You see? And then the Spirit of the Lord told me, see, you are appropriating the principle of the law. For the strength of sin is the law. You say, tell a man don't. There's something in them that is stirred. Something in them is stirred to rebel against that no. The Bible says that by the law, sin created all manner of concupiscence. Romans 7, 8. It says, sin taking advantage occasion of the commandment, routing me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, the Bible says sin was dead. Without the law, sin was dead. If you read that in the Amplified Version, Romans 7, verses 8, he says, but sin, finding opportunity in the commandment. So the law is not bad, but sin took advantage and went into the commandment to express itself and got a hold on me, Romans 7, 8, and aroused and stimulated, he says, all kinds of forbidden desires, lusts, covetousness. For without the law, he says, sin is dead. Now listen, the Amplified says, the sense of it is what? Is taken, it's dealt with. Sin becomes a lifeless thing without the law. We have had men in scripture who have lived before the law. Noah was righteous before the law, isn't it? Abraham was righteous before the law came. Somebody shout hallelujah, shout amen. So I started to deal with my child this way. If she goes to a place I don't want her to go, I just come carry her. And then I take her where I want to go and I don't say anything. And I said, to see her responding a bit. We're still on the journey. <laughs> Somebody shout hallelujah. But I thank God that I understand it. I have the understanding. Don't. You sort of empower. Somebody shout amen. So these sacrifices in their own self bring a remembrance of sin because the law is there. And it requires these sacrifices. So they're always in the cycle of what the law says and the sacrifices of that law. And when the sacrifices come, you know, they go for repentance. Remembrance of sin. And then they go for repentance. Remembrance of sin. And then they go for repentance. Remembrance of sin. Sacrifices. And then they live a good life for some days. And then, ah, it comes back. Then they go for repentance. So they're in that cycle. And it says in verses 4, because the blood of bulls and goats is powerless to take sins away. What? The blood of bulls and goats is powerless to take sins away. But in scripture, 
we see bulls and goats being sacrificed on altars. Such a sin is taken away. And I'm going to come back to that a bit. He says, hence, when he, Christ, entered into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but instead you have made ready a body for me to offer. God is not looking for sacrifices. He's not looking at the offerings that you are giving. No. But he has made a body for him, ready to be offered, which is Jesus. So he's saying, he has never required any sacrifice of any man. He has never required of any offering of any man except the place of the fulfillment of his purpose. And here is the purpose. The purpose is revealed in what Jesus Christ came to do. That one ultimate sacrifice. That means from the beginning of the earth, God was not looking at these gods and bulls. He was looking at one man who should come. And the law, which came earlier, is there to tell them, you will not fulfill this. You cannot fulfill this. Get to the point where you will need that one sacrifice. But they never understood it. And what our fathers did, they continued you know, imposing on people more and more roles to fulfill sacrifices and offerings. Verse 6, he says, in burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no delight. But we see sin offerings in the Old Testament. But he says, God is not delighted in that, although it would purge their consciences because the issue was the conscience. He left them with the gods and bulls for sacrifices because at least it would purge their consciences. He needs the conscience in a certain way if sin should walk out of a certain man. So he says, you know, since Christ is yet to come at an appointed time, let me let them sacrifice their bulls and gods because it will purge their consciences. But as God, he says, I don't take delight in what they're doing, but let it help their conscience that they have done something to appease for their sins. But that's not where I'm at, God says. And he continues to say, Then said I, behold, here I am, coming to do your will, O God, to fulfill what is written of me in the volume of the book, when he said just before, you have neither desired, nor have you taken delight in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, all of which are offered according to the law. So the law is asking for things that actually God has no desire into. But they are okay being given because they are helping the consciences of men. Then he went on to say, verses 9, Behold, here I am coming to do your will. Thus he does away with and annuls the first, the former old order as a means of expiating sin so that he might inaugurate and establish the second latter order. I know some people don't understand what I'm saying. Don't mind the English, I'll help you. So he's saying, I'm trying to get away with this old thing and deal away with it so that I can establish a new order. I'm not against it. It's still important for people to see and understand where I'm coming from to be here. So, New Testament believers, we cannot deal away with the Old Testament because it's a shadow. And it's important for us to know where we're coming from while we get, you know, in conversation with the reality of the life that we have in Christ Jesus. Now, this is the shocking thing. I read it in Jeremiah, the seventh chapter, 21st verse, if you were reading the Amplified Version. He says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat the flesh if you will. It availeth me nothing. He's telling them, some of you have gotten burnt offerings, you've gotten sacrifices of bulls and goats. And he's saying, look, you can, you know, kill them and eat them for yourself because they don't help me. They add nine to me. If you will read that to 21st verse in the message version, it says the message from God, the God of the angel armies, Israel's God. He says, go ahead, put your burnt offerings with all your other sacrificial offerings and make a good what? A good meal for yourselves. You make yourselves a good meal because I don't want that. So let's go back as we're reading the Amplified. He says in verses 22, for in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, our forefathers. He says, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. I never spoke to your fathers. Ah, yeah, yeah. So what about the sacrifices we're reading about? He said, I never spoke to your fathers or commanded them concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this thing I did command them, Listen to and obey my voice and I will be your God and you'll be my people. Walk in the whole way that I command you that it may be well with you. 
And verses 24 says, But they did not listen to and obey me or bend their ear to me, but followed the counsels and the stubborn promptings of their own evil hearts and minds, and they turned their backs and went in reverse instead of forward. That means they said to go backward and backward and backward instead of progressing and progressing and progressing because he gave them a way out and they chose their own way to establish their own righteousness before people and they introduced God's rams and all these things and people started to sacrifice all of these things but God was actually not in them. What? What? They're coming from Egypt from hundreds of years of bondage and he's helping them become a nation. And he's saying, the only way you're going to go forward, you are not going to invest your time in sacrifices and burnt offerings. It's not my interest. They say, "Uh uh-uh. They build doctrines around offerings. And he says, okay, let me let them be because they will help your conscience. But to purge your conscience for a while, until the next time it's so big that somebody needs again to sacrifice or you need to sacrifice animals for your salvation, God is saying it's for your conscience. So he can let it for your conscience. That's not where we live. That's not where we should live. Let the babes live there. But that's not where, especially the New Testament believer should live. Somebody shout amen. Because nothing sacrificed under the sun was enough to take away the sin of man. Nothing. But we have seen in scripture that they used to sacrifice things. You'd kill this, you sacrifice that, and you know, priests used to help people sacrifice things. You see? But God was not in that. But because they understood from there, He was okay ministering to them from where they're able to understand. Many people are confused in this. They think that God is where they understand Him from. And anybody outside the confines of their understanding is indifferent to the ways of God. You know? They submit the ways of God to their level of understanding. So if somebody does not agree with them, ah, this fellow is against the truth. He's speaking ferocious arguments and accusations against what we believe to be true and the institutions that have built the history of, you know, our church, our umbrella, our group. But what if what you know is where God has exercised his patience and long-suffering for you, waiting for you one time to get the revelation of the truth such that you will be restored and live the life of salvation like you are supposed to live it. And not many people, I tell you, and some have been in the gospel for so long, not many people, I tell you, are able to understand this thing that I'm sharing. Some have been born again for 20, 30 years of ministry. You can't preach this and they will not understand it instead of seeking to understand it, they will fight it. Because it's hard. So what about those who have just been born again? Except the spirit of grace helps a person. Not many people are able to understand how deep this is. Yet this is the beginning of our relationship built and worship toward God. Because if you don't understand this truth, you cannot relate with God a certain way or the right way. It says, though that worship me, will worship me in spirit and in truth. And this is the truth that I'm giving us. She's telling people, it's more than just the sacrifices. When these guys gave in to these sacrifices, instead of going forward, they started going backward. And some people are saying, Apostle, I am a Christian. I believe God for 30 years. I've prayed. I've done all these kinds of things, but I'm going backward. I'm not going forward. What's wrong with me? And then we start blaming generational curses. We start blaming demons of their uncles and aunties. We start blaming the uncle who bewitched them in 2012. We start going after the guy whom they phoned with a talisman in the car. And from that day, they cannot see their words are crossing the road. And sometimes I want to say, look, it's not about that thing, that witchcraft that you think you're dealing with. Maybe you are not progressing in the gospel as God has required because you've not understood the truth. When you know the truth, the truth will make you free. Some people say, but Fanero is growing so fast. Do you know why we're growing fast? Do you really want to know why we're growing fast? Is this. I understood the truth. I got to know the truth. When you know the truth, you will see the progress of the Spirit on your life. 
every day. You will enjoy salvation. Somebody shout amen. So our brothers and sisters, our fathers that went before us here are struggling. They are reversing in life instead of going forward. And these are not generational curses. They're not demons of this and that. It is entirely ignorance. That is why I told us that there are things that don't exist in the prayer realm. Some things cannot be fixed by prayer. You see, I've been in ministry now coming about 20 years of active ministry. So those of you who have not been in ministry for long, you might not understand it. Although there are people who have been in ministry for so long and have not yet understood this. I saw people who could pray. Oh, some of you have not seen prayer. You have not seen prayer. Because many of you cannot even sustain a two-hour prayer. We have prayed for two, three days. We know, we know what it means. We have tarried before God for days. Yeah. Some of you have just prayed for 10 minutes and you're sleeping. Two hours, three, and you're giving opinions about prayer. Listen, some of us have prayed. We've prayed. If our prayers were to be put together, but you see, we saw people who could pray. We saw people who could pray. And I saw people who prayed and they were reversing. And then they go out for fasting and they even reverse the more. They go on mountains to pray and they even reverse further. And then they give excuse of their, you know, inefficiency in the things of God. Again, from where they are able to understand. So this thing I'm talking about here is major. Because some people are reversing in life and not forward because they have not understood this thing. So some people are still in the mindset of the sacrifices that they need to offer to please God. You understand what I'm saying? Some think, if I pray a lot, eh, God will move. If I give a lot, God will move for me. If I do this and I do that, God will move for me. Now, when you share that temple, say, ah, he's against giving. No, you've not understood me yet. I'm a giver, a big giver. Some people say, oh no, so he's saying he's against prayer and fasting. No, because they've ended on that line and they're not going to hear the next lines. I pray and I fast more than many people. You see what I'm saying? But God is saying certain things come first. You will never please me by fasting. You will never please me by prayer. You will never please me by your giving. I know who in whom I am pleased. Somebody shout hallelujah. That man was baptized by John and the Bible says a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. He said, listen to him. Listen to him. My pleasure for you will never be in what you do. I'm not saying that I don't like it when you do these things, but I'm not in the things you do. I'm in the one in whom I find most pleasure. He's the perfect offering. He's the perfect sacrifice. You will never please me beyond that. You do all you want. Go on your prayer mountains and fast and roll. Put on your sackcloths and, and put your face in the fire if you want to. Put oil all over. Pour yourself with salt thinking that you'll gain more savory. But you'll never please me beyond that man called Jesus Christ. That is so deep. That is so deep. That is so deep. You will never please God beyond what Christ has done. Even Jesus said, sacrifices and offerings, he says, those are not the things that please the Father. He has said it in Scripture. When he was sending our fathers out of the bondage of Egypt, he said, I did not send you with the instructions of sacrifice and offering. Whatever you did, you did that out of your mind, and I let it happen because you were the anointed leaders of that time, but as never in your sacrifice, no offering. As never in there. 
The only thing that I've read in scripture that God has given exception for what would pass for sacrifice is the Passover. Why? Because the Passover is before the law. So we Christians are supposed to celebrate the Passover. Exodus 23 verses 18, it says, Thou shalt not over the blood of my sacrifice with living bread, neither shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until the morning. So that's an instruction. In, in the New Testament, in the New Testament, that experience of the Passover is replaced or improved with the artifacts of Holy Communion, the bread and the wine. So we still celebrate the Passover in the New Testament. But now it's in the typifications of the wine and the what? And the bread. That's why we have the Holy Communion. That one, we have it because it came before the law. Are you following what I'm saying? So it cannot be broken. If you go back to Exodus 23 verses 18, and then you read of his emphasis and the rules that he's giving us concerning the Passover, which is your Holy Communion. The next line, verses 19, it talks about the first fruits of your land, which you shall bring in the house of the Lord thy God. He brings the conversation on the first fruit. Because the concept of the first fruit, the concept of the tithes, they are before the law. I don't know why people think that the first fruit and the tithes are of the law. These things go before the law. Somebody shout hallelujah. They go before the law is given. Somebody shout hallelujah. So, we are getting to the place where God is drawing the church to understanding what he really requires of us. This is what will happen when we understand this. You will not fast to please God. You will understand the true fast which is helping yourself. Because fasting was never meant to move God. It was meant to help you. Paul says, I beat my flesh to subjection, least after I have preached this gospel, I myself will not be disqualified. So fasting does not move God. It helps you. God is already moved through Christ. You will never give in thinking that your giving their God will make you prosperous. Because you will see the man was made poor that you might become rich and through his poverty it will redound to your wealth so you are a wealthy man by reason of the person of Christ and you will learn to give because you are rich you see so do we fast we fast we don't fast to move God do we give yeah we give not to become rich we give because we are rich you see so the actions continue we pray and we don't pray in the mind that if we don't pray, God will not do anything for us. No, we actually pray because God has given it all to us. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Both of those portions of scriptures are past tense experiences. It's already done. So when we go to prayer, we go with thanksgiving. That's why it says with thanksgiving, make your requests known unto God. That life of prayer is different because it's relational. It's with gratitude. You don't go as a beggar. You don't go as a survivor. No, you go as a son. The identity is very clear. Somebody shout hallelujah. Servants versus sons. I've seen places in life where the servants were wiser than the sons to whom the inheritance was due. And we have seen God exalt servants above sons. We've seen people, even in the law, <laughs> doing more than people who claim to preach the grace message because they don't understand the wisdoms that come in the realms of authority and the laws that govern inheritance. Somebody shout hallelujah. So God was never in the sacrifices, but he could let it. So sometimes I go back and say, how many things did God let us do? Because we meant right. And it was enough to purge our conscience. And that heart that was trying to do right in our ignorance, he says, in the days of ignorance, God winks away, but now he calleth all men to come to repentance. How many things have we done in our ignorance? And God says, you know, let me just let them be because that's where they understand things from. And let's be patient with them until a time when they will mature and do 
in the knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. But while they're doing it in ignorance, you see, there's a person right now who is so ignorant about God and they're doing the best that they can for God. And God rewards that place because their heart is right. It's just working in ignorance. But they will never have God's best because God's best is in knowledge. He is the God of knowledge. Somebody shout hallelujah. So what is the place of the law? What is the purpose of the law? In Romans chapter 3 verses 19, he says, now we know. That means then they did not know. Hmm? The Paul writing now says, we did not know then. But now we know that whatsoever things the law says, it says to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may become guilty before God. This is the only reason of the law. The only reason of the law, that every mouth will be stopped. In other words, nobody will say, me, I'm good. Because once the law puts a light on you, pa, mister, you'll say, ha, yeah, yeah. I have issues too. Mm, I have issues. Remember the guys who bring this woman who had committed adultery? Stone her, do this and that, and all of them are gathering. She's evil, he's evil. And I've seen pastors who sit on pulpits and, and they send you know, death sentences on their own people and fellow ministers because they are doing this to this, they are doing that, they are doing this. And how can a spiritual father, a pastor do this? And I'm like, hmm, hmm, okay. I wish I can just get a little light and put it on you, sir. Pa! For just a few seconds, you probably might be worse. You understand what I'm saying? You're removing a speck in one man's eye, but you're full of what? Yeah, you have a log yourself. So I've seen people who have logs so big that almost their vision is blinded, but that little light they have to see, they're still seeing other people's specs. Some of you are worse than the people you're criticizing, but you just don't know that you are. But you are way worse, way worse. Even angels look and laugh and they say, hmm, even you, you see? But how do we know? And so God also is patient with them from where they are able to work. But when they come to the knowledge of the truth, that is why for some in whom is this ignorance, the tenants that work in them don't want them to hear such messages. Because once they can get to know the truth, these people will be free and they'll have God's best. So because they'll have God's best, what these guys do, what the devil and his cohorts do, they make sure that there were tenants in this individual Switch on and say, ah, I hate that person. Why do you hate them? Do you even know them? Do you even know them? No. You understand? And that's why I said some people, inside there's a spiritual man fighting to know the truth. Yeah. Recently somebody showed me a little post of some guy. This guy has been attacking us since 2014. But you see, I laughed because I realized 2021, he's still watching. <laughs> He's still commenting on my teaching. 2021. So I said, hmm, how many years? He's been a disciple for how many years? Oh, okay. Let him keep learning. Yeah, at least he's still tuning in. Are you hearing me? I don't hear him. I don't know him. But for him, he's watching me. That means something in him is learning. <laughs> Glory to God. So the law was given simply that all mouths may be stopped, that nobody will say, me, I am better. All of us will say, huh? When I look at these 10, I've done at least one. And if you've broken one, you've actually broken all. And that all of us might be guilty. Because it's a good place for us to be guilty. At that point under the law. Why? Because when we're all guilty, are you hearing me? When they bring the story of Christ, he will come in our lives, our arms open. Because we will need the Savior. It will be obvious that we all need the Savior. It will be so obvious. Look at Paul. Let me give you an example of Paul. Paul says, this is him narrating where he was. That's why I tell people, if many people were where Paul was before his salvation, many of them would not get born again. Why? Because Paul in his own account, he tells you, look, I was a Jew, circumcised on the eighth day like anybody. 
I was of the stock of Israel, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law. He says, I was blameless. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. He says, when you come to the law, the righteousness, which is in the law, he says, I was blameless. That guy, Paul, was, are you hearing me? But he says, but all those things that were gained to me, he says, those I have counted loss for Christ. And he says, and yet doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ of whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win him. That I may win him. He says, and that I may be found in him not having my own righteousness which is of the law but that which is through the faith of. Not the faith in but which is through the faith of Christ. Even the righteousness of God through faith. In that I will conform and know the power of his resurrection and fellowship with his sufferings, being made conformable and to his death. Paradventure, he says, that I, by all those means I might attain the resurrection of the dead. Many of us don't even understand Philippians 3. What I'm reading, many people don't even understand it. They don't even understand it. They have doctrines, but they don't understand this. Jesus said, I thank you, God, because you've revealed these things to babes. I have always had a concern in my spirit, and I read it through Scripture, how that some wisdoms have been denied the prudent. And God has given these things to babes. And the essence of definition here for the babe is not just the one which has chosen to stay mature, but the one that is still humble enough to be teachable because they are broken to the imitations. They can say, I don't assume, like Paul says, that I've attained, but I seek that I may apprehend that which Christ apprehended me for. So even the prudent have their own risks and challenges. Oh yeah, a prudent man foreseeth even hideth himself. Good. And the simple pass on and they're punished. But in your prudence, stay humble and teachable. That's what he's saying. Be a lion and stay a lamb. It's the duality of life. The cross is both horizontal and vertical. Are you hearing me? It's not so much about how you spread so wide, but it's important on how deep you go and how high you go. You see, it's a duality of life. It's why you have two eyes, two ears, you know, two legs, two hands. It's the New Testament, it's the Old Testament, it's darkness, it's light, it's day, it's night, it's seed, it's harvest, it's cold, it's heat, it's summer, it is winter. That's how life has been made. You don't live on one age Understand the other as well. The reconciliations of life will be so kind to you. Things will work for your good. Somebody shout hallelujah. So that's the place and purpose of the law. So for us then, that's why he says the law speaks to those who are under it. Times there are people who are not under it and he cannot speak to them. Why? Because they've gotten to the end and have actually understood that they're nothing without God that there were sinners in and out and that they need the Savior and that they are guilty of everything that has been spoken of and that they could condemn their self in the flesh and say, this is actually true, that there is nothing written of in the law that I'm not guilty of. The Bible says, he that hateth his brother murders him. So some people are saying, oh, this murderer who killed somebody and you know, they're in prison. They deserve to die. And the, the Christian is speaking this and I'm thinking, hmm, Darling, you actually hate your own sister, your blood sister, and look at you walking on the earth. And you think you're more righteous than the man who's behind bars for committing murder. Ha! You see, that's ignorance. It's ignorance. It says, you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. 
Are you hearing me? And there's a guy saying, me, I'm a virgin. The other one is not a virgin. So they're the wrong ones. See, me, I kept myself. What do you mean you kept yourself? Is your mind kept? Are you hearing me? All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're only alive because of that grace that justifies freely through the redemption which is in Christ. This is where God has taken us. When you come to that, the law cannot speak to you anymore. Why? Because now you have a new master. It's Jesus Christ. That's why in Romans 8, chapter 1, he says, Now there is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk after the flesh, but after the spirit. Why is there no condemnation? It's not necessary. You're not under the law. You found a new master. So you don't walk after the flesh, but after the spirit. Verses 2, if you will read from the message version, verses 2. He says, a new power now is in operation. You have a new power that is in operation in your life. He says, the spirit of life in Christ. He says, like a strong wing has magnificently cleared the air. Somebody shout hallelujah. He has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a fettered lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. You're free now because you're under another power. Another power is in operation. There is something called the spirit of life in Christ. He says the spirit of life in Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. Somebody shout hallelujah. The law of the life-giving spirit. He calls it the life-giving spirit. KJV calls it the life-giving spirit. Not the condemning spirit. Not the guilt conscience spirit. He's the life-giving spirit. He's always saying, you're fallen, get up. Yeah, 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 you screwed up. Cleanse yourself, move on. Recently, <laughs> a guy came to me and he was addicted to drugs. And he tells me, when he sat with me and told me, Apostle, I'm so addicted. This thing, this thing. So I looked at him and I said, that's the easiest thing to get out of your life. The guy said, when you said that, I actually thought, hmm, he's speaking because he doesn't know what drugs can do. He said. But when he met me, he said, I understand now. Why? When I told him that, I gave him a sermon called Divine Fiber. So him, go listen to it. He went and listened to it. And the guy said, after divine fiber, he lost every appetite of weed. He just woke up and he told me, Apostle, to even tell you that this thing has left me, I am still with these guys who used to sell it to me. And the guy who was selling it to me asked me, what has happened to you? He's also concerned. Because the man ain't buying stuff. Somebody shout hallelujah. Glory to God. But you see, I told him, look, when I was helping him, and what shocked him, I told him, look, I'm not even interested whether even after this conversation, you continue taking your weed or not. I told him that's least of my interest. Least of my interest. Just go and listen to the word. Do all you want. Take your whatever. I don't, I don't care. That's none of my business. Because that's nothing. The issue is not the weed. The issue is you need life. And you need to find the life-giving spirit. And when he connected to the word, the need of the drug died. Everything in him that was craving died. Man said, Apostle, now it's weeks and I can tell you I'm actually free. A story is given of a missionary. A guy was preaching to his friend about Christ. And this guy used to take weed. And so one time this guy brings him the Bible. Small little Gideon book. Gideon's Bible, I think. Huh? Tells him, I feel you should read this. The guy said, I don't believe in Christianity. Trust me, if you leave this book here, I'll tear out each paper and I'll put weed in it and smoke it. I'll smoke it. I'll smoke it. Remember the Gideon books used to begin with New Testament. 
So the guy says, aha, then let's agree. Just promise me that before you smoke that paper, you read it. Deal? Deal. The guy got the paper. <laughs> Swa. Matthew. Mark. By the time you got to look, he was born again. <laughs> Glory to God. The word cut him and cut him and cut him and cut him. And the man got born again. Somebody shout hallelujah. Tell your neighbor, this is the life-giving spirit. So the Bible says in verses 3, God went for the juggler when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with a problem as something remote and unimportant. This is how big sin was. He sent Jesus. That's why I tell people, especially people who think that by preaching grace, we are saying that sin is nothing. Listen, sin is so big that God had to send Jesus. Never forget that. That's how big sin is. So he said, he sent Jesus, his own son. And the Bible says, and he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity, in order to set it right once and for all. And he continues to say, the law code, weakened as it always was, fractured by human nature, and it could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. That's what the law was. The law was a band-aid of sin instead of what? Healing it. It was a band-aid of sin instead of what? Healing it. And the Bible says in verse 4, he says, now what the law court asked for, but we could not deliver, he said, is accomplished as we, listen, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. That's so powerful. That's so powerful. That's so powerful. You see? So they gave us the law, and we could not fulfill the word, the law, because it was weakened as it always was by fractured human nature, and the human nature, like the Bible says, it could not have never done that. It could have never obeyed the law. It could have never done whatever the law requires. And so he says that because he sent the Spirit, because he sent the person of Jesus Christ, he says that what the law could asked for, and we, you and I could not accomplish you and I could not deliver. You and I could not fulfill. He said, instead of us saying, you do more, redouble your efforts. You're not doing enough to come out of this. You're not doing enough to come out of sexual perversion. You're not doing enough to come out of alcohol. You, then they persecute you. You're not doing enough. And you know, they continue. Ah, you don't even care. You don't care about your wife. You don't care about your children. You drink yourself every time. Listen, go inside their hearts. They all want to come out. And some even redouble the efforts. And the more they redouble, the deeper they fall. And God is saying, instead of redoubling your effort, open your spirit and embrace what God is doing through his spirit in the person of Jesus Christ. So that means there are people right now struggling to come out of things. And there are people who are simply embracing and understanding what God is doing in them through the spirit. And those who are of the spirit, they will have life. And those who are redoubling their efforts, they will only to the end of their lives, have a list of whatever they've tried to do and be, but they could never be because the law could never fulfill. Somebody shout hallelujah. Verses 5. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle, but never get around to exercise it in real life. That's why people who preach the law, they have this thing of showing that they're more righteous than others. They're always the right ones. Everyone is wrong. Have you been around such people? Huh? He puts on a sermon. You know the first thing they say? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But there's a few things he has not understood. Because you, who is critiquing, understands them. Hmm. Mm, yeah, but uh, it's half. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not full. It's not full. It's unlucky. Mm. Sometimes I want to say... If you have the full revelation, how come you don't have the results of the full revelation? Mm, yeah, but it's not the right way to build. There's another way you could do better, you know. It's like, but you, brother, who should or knows how to do better? You don't have the results of someone who's doing better. 
<laughs> Sometimes servants know more than sons. <laughs> Somebody shout hallelujah. You shall know them by their fruit. Somebody shout hallelujah. Not their, their fruit. Somebody shout hallelujah. Tell your neighbor results never lie. Yes, when I was banking, <laughs> in those years of banking, there was always this sentence that my manager used to say. He used to say, numbers don't lie. Mm -hmm. How much did you bring in? Numbers don't work. Don't lie. You either deliver or you don't work. There's no shortcut. No, you know me, I might not bring in numbers, but I'm a good person. La, 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 la. Listen, numbers don't work. Don't lie. Results don't lie. I find it so hard when preachers say, you know, numbers are nothing. What? What? They're nothing. Can you have more money by getting less of it? Exactly. We all live a mathematical world. Yeah, there's mathematics everywhere. But when he goes on his knees, what does he ask God for? You see? Tell your neighbor, it matters. Yeah, it matters. It matters. So, they stretch their own moral muscle, and yet they cannot exercise it. That means if you try in your own strength, you will be a preacher of something you cannot actually do. But it says, but those who trust God's action in them, find that God's spirit is in them living and breathing God. You see, so there are two Christians. One is doing their own efforts. One is entirely leaned on the spirit. Verse 6. Obsession with self in these matters is a what? Is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. Verse 7 says, focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. You cannot do both. He said, if you wake up and say, I'm going to stop doing this, now you're focusing on self. You're gone. You will not stop. But if you say, I'm relying on God to stop this, now you're speaking the right language. That's grace. That's why no man who has been dealt with by God and you see that this thing only God took out of your life. I don't know whether I have witnesses. Have you ever struggled with something and then you just woke up and then you say, but I tried and I fell and then one day I just remember, this thing just left me. When you're that kind of person, it's hard for you to boast of walking out of sin because every time you put the light on you, you see that you tried and failed. You can see all your failures. This father, this time, eh? I'm not doing it again. Then you do it, pa. I'm trying again. Then you do it, pa. Let's do it one more time. Then you fail again, pa. Then you go repenting and weeping, and you say, This time, God, kill me if I do it. I'm done. Then you mess up again. And then that next time, you say, Father, I'm not even going to say. Just watch me. Then you mess up. The moment he has watched you and you messed up, oh, oh, wretched sinner who comes to my salvation. Then you fall prostrate, down and even roll, and even your eyes swell because you're seeking forgiveness. And then people find you in the corner, and they think you're seeing in the spirit. You're dealing with a conscience, <laughs> guilt conscience. People think in the spirit you're seeing angels. No, <laughs> you're dealing with something. You're fighting a war of the self. God is actually watching you fighting yourself. So not all outward temperament is seeking. Huh? You know, we went to churches back in those days where you'd see someone crying in the wall, huh? in the corner, and you say, that sister, surely God, why don't you get her your husband? You see how she's crying. It's not about how she cries. It's about the revelation that she has when she cries. God told Hagar, stop crying, I've had the lad. Yeah? Stop crying. I have had Ishmael. That means to God, Hagar's prayers were useless and tears, they were useless. He was hearing the seed of Abraham, faith. So not every person who is crying knows what they are crying about. Now let's finish this. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God and ends up thinking more about self than God. That person ignores who God is and what he is doing. Verses 8, God isn't pleased at being ignored. 
But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. That's why I'm saying some people don't know what we're talking about. And it's okay if they don't know what we are talking about. But for you who welcomed him, in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourselves experience life on God's terms. Give the Lord a mighty of praise on that. <laughs> Verses 11 says it turns out to reason, doesn't it? That if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he will do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus Christ, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and it does as surely as it did in Christ. You are delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ's. So don't you see that we don't owe this all do-it-yourself life one red note. There's nothing in it for us. Nothing at all. The best thing to do is to give it a decent burial and get on with your life. So you have the choice. Bury that old life or continue in it. And we shall meet in heaven with better results than you in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, raise your voice and thank God. You are the air. Oh Lord, you are. You are the air. Oh Lord, you are. You are the bond of Gilead. You are the road of Sharon. You are my peace in the midst of a storm. You are the air I breathe. Oh Lord, you are, you are the air I breathe. Oh Lord, you are. Sing it by and sing the bomb of Gilead. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. To God be the glory. Tonight, I just feel this simple instruction that may God give you understanding whatever has been shared tonight and then may you seize from yourself and submit to God and his spirit to work in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure sin will walk out of your life disease will leave you struggle will leave you pain and depression will leave you instead of regression I see progress in your life as God works in you every day. In Jesus' mighty name, we've prayed and believed. Give him a mighty help of praise. Come on, clap your hands to Jesus. Clap. Thank you, Lord. As I come to an end, I want to give you an opportunity for those of you who have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through Him. So repeat these words after me. Say, Father, I thank you for the gift of Jesus because He shed His blood for my sins and was raised for my glory. Tonight, I receive you, Jesus, as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. 
For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at funerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.funero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest.